Yeah, I got something to say. Something that God's been giving me all week. I knew when we left the book of Acts and went into the book of Ephesians, it was going to be a completely different experience, different format of message. I knew that Acts was very practical and historical. You draw principles out of it. And I knew that Ephesians was very mystical, spiritual, and lofty book. It's, Ephesians is high-altitude stuff. But I didn't think it would hit it this quickly as we're going to hit it. Because we're going to hit it today and we're going to hit it running. Yeah, it's not been that funny, really. Because <laughs> you live these sermons, you know that. Last week was Ephesians 1-2. The title was Grace, Grace, More Grace. And we sensed that God wanted to address the topic of grace with us. The verse was, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And I hope that you've incorporated that into your thinking and especially into your praying. When you've been praying for people, have you been praying for God to shower grace into their lives? And speak grace into those situations that stand against us and stand against God. Powerful grace. That was last week. Two commonly accepted definitions of grace. We're not going to spend much time on this. We talked about it last week. Grace is unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. That's probably the most common definition that you will hear in Christian circles. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is that, but it's so much more than that. So we need a second definition to fully capture what grace is. Grace is God's help. Grace is God's aid. Grace is God's enabling. Grace is God's empowering to us on our behalf. Grace is God's active involvement in our life. Grace is not passive. Unmerited, undeserved favor is passive. Grace is not passive. Grace is active. Grace is God inter intervening and in getting involved in the lives and the affairs of men and of us as individuals. That was last week. Grace. This week, today, Ephesians 1 3. Will you stand with me, please? Is Rhea going to come all by herself or mom? Are you coming with her? Ray is going to read for us one verse, Ephesians 1 3. Good and loud into the mic, Raya. Praise be to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you, and you may be seated. Serious? Be, I have to some, figure out somehow to get to you so you know what the text is. But yes, any of you guys that want to read, you're welcome to read on a Sunday. So the title is Blessed in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, which Rhea read for us. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has 
blessed us in the heavenly realms with spiritual blessings, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. Ephesians is this deeply spiritual book. Paul hits the ground running. He jumps right in, gives us a a salutation, and then he's right into the meaty stuff. We want to try and keep it as simple and as relatable as possible. It may not be easy. The phrase in Christ or in the Lord or in him, it occurs roughly 160 times in Paul's writings. 36 times alone in the letter to the Ephesians. It's an extremely important New Testament concept in Christ. You won't find that in the Old Testament. So before we can explore spiritual realms, which we're going to, spiritual blessings, which we're going to, that are mentioned here, we need to get a good understanding of this phrase, this concept in Christ. Let's take a look at a very familiar verse, John 17, 3. Stay with me. Roundabout, come back to the passage. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you've sent to earth. Now, hopefully we already know this, but eternal life is wrapped up in knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing, not just knowledge about, not just mental assent, knowing personal relationship. The way to have eternal life is to personally know Jesus Christ. We're not talking about physical life. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul doesn't talk much about physical or earthly experience at all. Remember I said we'd have an oversimplified outline of the book of Ephesians? Well, if you want that, it's simply this. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about our position in Christ. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 are how we're to live as Christians in Christ. So for the first three chapters, high altitude. Then we come back to earth in chapter 4. So hopefully we know this about eternal life. Now listen to me because you got to get this. All breathing humans, all humans who are still breathing, have physical life by virtue of having a soul in their body. But not all humans have spiritual life, eternal life, if you will. We know this from Scripture. Humans are born in sin. Because of the incident that happened into the garden, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed. They rebelled against God. Every human being born after Genesis 3 is now born with a sin nature that alienates and separates us from God. And from the spiritual life that he created in us before the fall. So now we're born, human beings are born with physical life because we have a soul, but not with spiritual life. Our spirit is dead. You following that? You were dead. You were walking around, but you were dead because of your sins. 
because, of your sin, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. The sinful nature that you are born with was not yet cut away. So Scripture considers you dead even though you're breathing and walking around. The walking dead, physical life, no spiritual life. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of your sins, all of our sins. Hallelujah. We were once dead and now we're alive. We were once lost and now we're found. But not everybody is alive and not everybody is found yet. We're not born with spiritual or eternal life. We're born only with physical life. Therefore, paying attention. Somewhere along life's journey... From birth to death, we must acquire eternal life. We must acquire spiritual life in order to live forever with God. If we don't, then we remain dead in our sins. You were dead because of your sins. If we don't somehow acquire eternal life, we remain dead in our sins. And our eternal, our eternal destiny is then the lake of fire, also known as hell. We die eternally separated from the life of God. We still have soul life. We don't cease to exist. We just exist apart from the life of God, which is hell. Still with me? This is Ephesians we're talking about here. The way to acquire eternal life along life's journey is to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Simple. Not easy because mankind rejects it, but simple. God made it simple. If you're here today and you're not sure you know Jesus as your Savior, will you please see me or somebody you can trust to help you with that before you leave? You don't want to leave here dead in your sins with only physical life and no spiritual life. When a person comes to know Jesus... When a person comes to know Jesus and receives eternal life, spiritual life, Scripture refers to that person as what? Being in Christ. So we've come back around to Ephesians 1.3. When a person comes to know Jesus and he, receives, he or she receives eternal life, spiritual life, Scripture now refers to that person as being in Christ. So whenever we come across the phrase in Christ or in the Lord, or in him, it refers to those who know Jesus as their Savior, those who have turned from their sin, those whose sin is now forgiven, those who are again now rightly related to God as prior to the fall, and those who live in a personal relationship with Jesus. Those are the folks who are in Christ. And we're going to see that 36 times in the book of Ephesians. These are the folks, the ones in Christ, who are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So back to Ephesians 1.3. Let's see if we can gain some insight what Paul's talking about here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now we know what in Christ refers to. What about this blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing? 
What's, what's he talking about there? Well, let's begin first with the word us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Paul includes himself in that. Who's he talking about? When Paul uses the word us, he's referring to believers. Believers are blessed by God. Therefore, if you and I are truly believers, if we're truly faithful followers of Christ, then you and I are blessed by God. In the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing. I'll take your questions afterwards. Write it down. Did you notice that it says has? God doesn't mince words. God's very particular about tenses of verbs that he uses. Who has blessed us. Present tense. Not will bless us in the heavenly realms. Has blessed us. That gives you a lot of trouble when you're trying to figure out exactly what that means. We are blessed by God right now in the spiritual realms. The entire passage is in the present tense. So whatever is true in this passage is true right now. Remember, we want to try and keep this as simple and relatable as we can. Blessed. The word blessed means the object of God's favor poured out upon. It means one upon whom God has conferred or bestowed good things. Jesus was blessed of God. It says Mary was blessed of God. Believers are blessed of God. You're blessed of God. I'm blessed of God. And in this case, heavenly, spiritual, good things, not earthly, physical good things, although we are, by ble we are blessed by God that way as well. In this passage, and in most of the first three chapters of Acts, we're not talking about earthly benefits, earthly blessings. We're talking about in the spiritual realm. Heavenly realms. Let's see what Scripture has to say about the heavenly realms. Colossians 1.16. Through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. In the unseen realm. Heavenly realms. The phrase is only mentioned six times in Scripture. Five in Ephesians, one here in Colossians. It's obviously alluded to in other places if you think of Daniel. But the actual wording, heavenly realms, is only used six times in Scripture. Five in Ephesians, one here in Colossians. So what can we gain from studying these verses? Because we're not going to rely on our own understanding at all in this study. We're going to see what Scripture says and convey exactly what Scripture says. So if you have any problem with what's being said, don't shoot the messenger. It's Scripture. I'm just trying to give, get a handle on this from Scripture. What can we gain from verses that have heavenly realms mentioned. This verse especially distinguishes.
the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. They're not the same. The heavenly realms are unseen realms. They're not visible to the human eye unless God shows it to you. And he does at times. And he does choose to show you and give you glimpses into the heavenly realms. But they're unseen realms, not seen with the physical eye. Spiritual beings, spiritual beings, angels and the like, and other created spiritual beings dwell in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1.20, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And it's always plural. It's always plural. So from this verse, God dwells in the heavenly realms and by God's power, Jesus is seated with him there at his right hand. So Jesus also dwells in the spiritual realms. And the same power that worked on Jesus' behalf to get him there works on our behalf who believe God. That's what it says. Keeping it as simple and as true to Scripture as we can, buckle up for this next verse. He raised us from the dead, present tense. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united to Christ Jesus. I know our brains might start to explode, but let's try and take an objective look what Scripture is saying here. Look at what it says. God and Jesus dwell in the heavenly realms. God seated Jesus there at his right hand with a mighty act of power and raising him from the dead. That power works on our behalf who believe God. And then there's the us again. There's the believers. There's the followers of Christ, you and me, who also dwell in the heavenly realms. Yeah, let that sink in. In Christ, with Christ. That's the importance of understanding in Christ, the, the concept in Christ. When we accepted Christ, spiritually speaking, we are. Paul's very spiritual in these first three chapters. When we accepted Christ, we became vitally united, vitally connected with him. So where he is, we also are, present tense. I will try and wrap this up at the end. It says God seated us with him. We can fully understand that God seated him there, right? But wait a minute. He seated us there with him. Present tense. But aren't you sitting in that pew right there? And yet scripture says you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies at this moment. That's Ephesians. That's Paul. For the elders. Now you know why I was so hesitant to go into this book of Ephesians. It 
says, God seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Well, sure, when we're resurrected, when we're died and we resurrected, then we're going to be with him. No, this is present tense. This is now. This is not future. This is not after we die. Right now, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, period. Think about it. But let me give you an exhortation. For now, at least, don't try to figure it out, okay? Don't try to figure out how it can be that Richard's sitting there and Richard's also sitting, seated with Christ in the, in the heavenly realms. Just believe it by faith. It's to us who believe him. It's to us who believe God. Don't try and figure it out. Just take it by faith because this is God's word and this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding or your ability to figure it out. Just take it by faith. Take him at his word and take it on faith. Let God explain it to us as we move forward in weeks and months. And he will. Right now we're just on the front end and we're hearing stuff that we can't quite wrap our brains around. God explains to the one who loves and seeks him. Jeremiah 33.3. Call upon me, says the Lord, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. And that you can't understand apart from me showing you. Ephesians 3.10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But now we're getting into the meat of this thing. When I first said we were preaching on Ephesians, Chris Firestein said, well, man, that's a book heavy in spiritual warfare. And he's right. Now we're getting into the meat of this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and his glory in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers, powers, principalities, authorities in the heavenly places. So there is a purpose in this. God doesn't do anything random. There's a purpose in this. As always, God has a brilliant, divine purpose for seating us with Christ in the heavenly realms now. And for blessing us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. And the purpose, are you listening? I think if anybody's actually interested in your, spirit, in your Christian life, you're listening right now. Because you want to know, what the heck is going on? The purpose is a sort of take notice to the Antichrist forces that also dwell in the heavenly realms. Look at my church. Look at what I've done. With these who were dead in sin and had no life. And look what I've done. Trophies of my grace. Feast your eyes upon these who believe in me. It's sort of. The purpose is sort of. God's never vindictive. But the purpose is sort of a take notice to the Antichrist forces that dwell there. God is kind of showing off his kids. And what he has done for them. For those who believe him. Look at my church. Look at my believers. Look at what I have. Look at what I am doing with them. They don't look like much, earthly speaking. But look at what I'm doing in them and through them.
You thought you had them dead in sins, but I have redeemed them and I have glorified them and I have set them in the spiritual realms with me and with Jesus. And I blessed them with all spiritual blessings. And honestly, it doesn't say it here, but he's telling them, you, Satan, are no match for them. You're no match for my church. If the problem is we don't live like that, right? But what God's saying to Satan is really, you're no match for them. Can you imagine how much that must grate on Satan and his demons to hear that? Lowly humans raised up to the same level he is, seated in the spiritual realms where he dwells, even more so raised up higher than that in Christ. Ouch. God is showing us off. I'll bring us back down to earth real quick with that though, okay? Think of Job. God said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? (laughs) Yeah, I know, that didn't really turn out too good for him. Initially did it. When God showed him off, showed him off to Satan, you see my servant Job, what are you going to do about him? Job was hurting initially, but look at the end of the book. And Satan saw the wisdom and the glory and the blessing of God displayed in Job's life. And Satan is seeing the wisdom and the glory and the blessing of God displayed in your life and in my life, those who believe him, those who have a personal relationship with Jesus and are living for him. There's a purpose in all this. One more verse. We had that purpose We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits where? In the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. Satan and his hierarchy of demonic rulers, powers, principalities, authorities also dwell in the heavenly realms. They're not flesh and blood. They're not human. They're not earthly enemies. They're not foes from the earthly realm. They're spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's where the battle goes on for earth. And that's where we are. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I'm just telling us what it says. This seems to imply... Still with me? This seems to imply by virtue of the believer's position in Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, believers participate in the conquest of evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against evil spirits in the heavenly places. God uses believers in the conquest of these evil forces, (coughs) excuse me, that are at work. Like it or not, and some of us don't, but like it or not, this whole concept of Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, seems to have to do with 
believers, the church, spiritual warfare, and conflict. We've lived in the realm of gentle shepherd, suffering servant. Turn the other cheek, love your enemies. That is all so true. That's true of the believer. That's true of the Christian life. But we have lived so long in in that realm, that area of our Christian life, we are pretty much ignorant and have not lived in this area of our Christian life where God wants to use us in the conflict against his arch enemy and his forces. And that's all we're going to say about that. Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. That was enough, right? To chew on. There is a conclusion and there is somewhat of an application. So back to the original verse. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What exactly does that all mean? What is the practical application to this? I have no clue. I really don't know. Yet. But I do know a couple of things, and I'm going to share them with you, too. First, any and all blessings we have, spiritual, earthly, whatever, come to us in Christ. Apart from Christ, no blessings. God is good. God is just. His reign falls on the just and the unjust. We're part of that. But apart from Christ, no blessings from God. Actually, the scripture says that we are enemies of God. Love of the world is enmity with God. We might not stand there and shake our fist at him, but by virtue of the fact we rejected the sacrifice of his son at great cost to himself, the fact that we rejected that, we've become enemies of God, or we've remained enemies of God, dead in our sins. No blessings apart from Christ. I do know that. So if you're not in Christ, you want to get in Christ. It's your first step. That's why Paul begins with praise God for what he has done for us in Christ. Second thing I know. There's so much more to this Christian life than most of us realize or experience. This has been coming increasingly clear to me over the years. There's so much more to this Christian life than most of us realize or experience. We are so highly, highly blessed in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, present tense, far above any earthly thing, far above the enemy and his forces. We are, present tense, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. By his authority, we have, present tense, triumphed over the enemy. 
We have, present tense, authority over the unseen forces of evil in the heavenly realms and the dark forces that he uses in this world. Unfortunately, it seems to me, and I have thought this for a while now, the church is walking in a much lower estate, a much lower experience than God desires and intends for us. I'm referring to the church as a whole, our church, myself. And now this is where it might get at least a little practical. Because of this, because the church walks at such a low estate, in such little power, such a a fraction of what God intended us to be when we came to Christ. We didn't just turn over a new lease on life and now we're good and we don't do this and we don't do that. It's so much more than that. His purpose when we came to Christ is so much more than that. And because we don't recognize it and we're not living in it, the enemy has gained much ground that should not have been gained. The church has not stood up against him in the incredible power available to us in Christ, as Paul puts it. We have not stood up to the enemy. Illustration. He has stolen and he has captured many of our loved ones and many of our blessings. And I'm not sure we know what to do about it. We seem to be powerless. We seem to be impotent to do anything about it, to set the captives free that he has stolen, that he's keeping from us, keeping from God. I have given you mighty weapons that are not earthly weapons, they're spiritual weapons, and they're to the tearing down of strongholds, the demolishing, the devastating of strongholds, that have been erected in people's mind that are keeping them from coming to know God. So the unbeliever, yeah, we know that. Their eyes are veiled. But he has caused us to not fully understand who we are in Christ and what he has for us and what he wants to do through us. Therefore, he pretty much has his way. And sometimes we get really upset and we lament and we cry, but we really don't know what to do about it. Are you with me? Ephesians. Whose idea was this anyhow? Mine. But nobody tried to talk me out of it. I'm not in it alone. You're guilty by default. You're guilty by association. So let's close it up. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now listen good as we close. Try and put out the distractions. I don't know what all that means. I really don't. But I'm game to find out. I'm game to find out. I'm game to learn. I'm willing to set myself on that quest. I'm willing to make myself available to God 
to reach those lofty heights that God has for us and he has for the church and he has for CCF. Is there anybody in here that's with me in that? Steve, come and pray. Sonny, you can bring the band up. Steve's going to pray. Praise the Lord. As I hear the, the message today, pastor asked me this week to pray after the message. And as I'm hearing the words that he had for us today, all these things come through my mind of what I'm supposed to say and what I'm supposed to pray. But in all honesty, I feel so unworthy after hearing that message. On our way here today at church, we're driving down 9th Street, and I pass a, a car with a young man that I coached in baseball, and I haven't seen him for quite a while. And as he passed me, he stopped, and then he backed up, and I backed up. And we talked for a few minutes, and by the way I was dressed, he says, you're on your way to church. And I, we said, yes. And uh, we said, you want to come to church too? And he says, nah, he says, I'm saved. He says, my mother prays for me. I'm covered. And the more I think about that, I think that's what the world wants us yeah. to think. You know, we look at the news and the enemy just tells us all that's wrong and all that's bad that's happening in this world. I want everybody in here today to hear that message that the Lord just gave us through our pastor. And if you, if you can, listen to it again. If you don't remember it, listen to it over and over again on the podcast because it's so important. The world does not want us to know the power that we have being in Christ. We are in Christ. The world wants us to know all the pain and the suffering and the evil that's happening in this world. Yes, we got to be aware of it, but we got to be aware of it so we can fight it through Christ Jesus. We've got to be aware of it to say that we are above that, that we have more power than the enemy does. We are better than Christ, or than, I'm sorry, we are better than the enemy. We are more powerful than the enemy when we are in Christ. Father, I thank you for that word today. Oh, I just thank you so much for that word today. And I just pray, Father, that each and every one of us will live in that power that you have given us, that we are in Christ. And if whoever is here today 
if you are not in Christ, if you are not saved, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I ask that you see pastor or see any one of the elders, Father, or anyone who is in Christ, see them because they can lead you to Christ. Father, I just thank you so much that you blessed us. I pray that each one of us will focus on the blessings that you have given us, that you give us each and every day. Our band sang a song earlier, and my granddaughter reminded me of it, that your breath is in us, that you breathe life into yes. us. And that's all we have to do is just live in you, in Christ. Oh, Father, I just feel so unworthy to speak after the words that you have given us today, but you are a mighty God and that you love each and every one of us in here today. And I pray that each one of us will leave here today. Again, we will leave here today different than what we were when we came in, that we will leave here in more power than what we did when we came in. I thank you, Father. I thank you for what you are doing in this church. I thank you for these young men and women that you have brought to us in this church and the hope that you have brought us in this church, Father. And I thank you for the words that you have given our pastor. I thank you for the music that you bless us with through our band. I thank you for all the blessings. Whether we are in this room or when we are out in the world, I thank you, Father, for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.